Welcome to another episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Today we're talking about Cisco 5G Ultra Cloud Core with Cisco expert Eric and Cisco Champion hosts Aaron and Josh. We'll have Eric provide a little more detail around today's episode, but before we get to that, we're going to do a quick round of introductions so you know who everyone is, what they do when they're not recording podcasts with me, and where you can find them on Twitter. Let me start us off. I'm Amy Lee San Juan, Amy Lee San One on Twitter, and I'm on the Cisco product marketing team tasked with finding the best of the best in Cisco experts and Cisco champion hosts so that we can bring you a new episode every Monday. Okay, Eric, we'll start with you. Can you introduce yourself and what it is you do at Cisco? Yes, sure. Hi. So my name is Eric Hamo. I'm leading a sales specialist team in the mobility space in Cisco. I'm based out of EMER here and based in Paris. And I'm actually working with the service provider customers of ours, especially on the packet core solutions, which I will be covering a bit more detail. Great. Looking forward to it. Next up, Aaron, my bud, who are you? What do yeah. you do? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> what don't I do? So my name is Aaron Weiler. Uh, you can find me on any social media outlet at, at Aaron Engineered, all one word. Um, there is a D at the end. Uh, I am a sales engineer for one of the United States' largest internet service provider. I interact with our Fortune 50 to Fortune 100 companies. Um, so I'm the technical liaison between my company and those companies. I'm super stoked to be here. Sounds fun. All right, Josh, tell us more about yourself. Ooh, about myself? Well, yes. my name's Josh, and you can find me on Twitter at WarCop. Uh, I'm a solutions engineer at ByteWorks here in the U.S. We're a partner with enterprises and service providers. Uh, looking forward to today's topic. Great. Okay, Eric, back to you. Can you set us up? What are we talking about today? Yes, let me kick it off. I think Ultra Cloud Core is, uh, is an interesting solution name for what is the actual next generation packet core, which will be serving all the 5G network that will be deployed around. Um, the packet core is an essential piece of any mobile network in a sense that is terminating, you know, device sessions. So creating the IP link to the applications, whatever they are, voice or data. And it's been evolving over time and moving to what we call ultra cloud core. It went from, you know, standard based, uh, you know, hardware based solution to virtualization and now to cloud native solution, which is why it has been called ultra cloud core. And it's truly addressing the next wave of uh, service enabling capability that uh, our customers, SPs, but also enterprise in a way, are looking to leverage to deploy and, and use the 5G network, which are at our door now. I think we have some examples of things being done by some service product customers in the US, but also based on where closer where I am in Europe. We see a lot of traction from both the service providers understanding what they can do with it and also from the enterprise because they have the range of engagement around, you know, oh, 5G is interesting. I want to be able to leverage all the nice things that 5G brings me in terms of throughput, low latency, etc. And I need to be able to deploy this more easily. And this is what the Ultra Cloud Core is trying to address and what we're trying to work with our, our, our customers. So that's a, a short introduction about what we're going to talk about today. So do, do you find, first of all, I, I just want to ask like a very blunt question about the product name. And if you had to pick out one portion of it that was the ultra part of 5G ultra cloud core, what do you think that would be? Because I think a lot of people are still scared to use 5G. You kind of like how cloud was years ago, right? There's a, there's a gap there. People are like, I don't know if I can use it yet. Like you mentioned latency and things like that. 
So, so what's the ultra part to you? So the ultra part is everything which comes with the ease of operations, not only the capability that comes with it, but also the way that we can streamline the deployability and the simplicity of operation of this, but also the key capabilities which are coming in terms of service enablement. Uh, I would point out, yeah, we talk about ultra low latency, which is where the ultra name is being taken in 5G standards which in a sense the, the, the core is contributing to, but not so much. I think it's contributing to this ultra low latency by terminating the session as close to the device or the client as we can. Mm. But this, uh, you know, also the new community around slicing. How can I dedicate a specific core for a specific usage? And this is where I think the industry is now going. I think it's... Uh, this ultra part is not so much for the traditional, how can I say, users that you and I are based on our traditional consumption, like broadband. We want to get the highest speed to get the video and all things or social media going on on our phone. No, the ultra is coming with these new capabilities, which are more addressed to the enterprise and new kind of usage we can derive from 5G. Hmm. Now, to your point about 5G being scared, you know, people being a bit shy about using 5G. Yeah, I mean, I think 5G is still finding its usage and use cases, but I think we're going quite down the road in terms of how we can leverage this and, and the promise are, are quite enormous of what we could be doing with it. What do, you, what do you think one of the advantages of being a cloud native platform is? I think cloud native is a bit of an overused term. I think the, the main benefit we get is maybe the ease of deployment and the multiple deployment environment that we could you know, have this core into. I'm talking about, you know, today operators are very centralized in infrastructure they provide or they use the core into. And there's maybe few data centers where they are deploying the packet core, very centrally orientated. Uh, now there are requirements to do enable this low latency, which is trying, is looking to move then this uh, packet termination capability closer to the edge, as I said. So it's the new... Mm edge cloud type of uh, or telco uh, a telco cloud at the edge of the, of the network but if you look at the enterprise i mean the enterprise have a various environment where they would like to deploy potentially this capability they could use private cloud public cloud but also on-prem equipment and i think this cloud native is bringing you the flexibility to envisage the cost under any of these deployment uh, scenarios so if I'm using, you know, an existing Kubernetes platform at the edge, then I can take packet core, ultra cloud core and put that on top of it? That, that's, that's the target, yes. I wouldn't yeah, say it's fully ready for this because today, I mean, all this uh, cloud native technology with Kubernetes is still at its infancies into the telecom world. Mm -hmm. So we are providing a whole package solution with the package Kubernetes, the tooling that goes with it. And we provide this, but eventually this is exactly what they want to do, what we want to do. And also the service part I'm talking to or are looking at this, they are talking about, you know, containers as a service platform, and they would like to have multiple network function potentially coming from multiple vendor on the same environment. So yes, that's the target. So being like agnostic then, vendor agnostic, is that the idea? That's the goal, yes. Now, gotcha. I mean, as I said, we, we, we've been seeing this with the move to virtualization. And some operators and, and all the vendors have chosen either VMware or OpenStack as the sure. virtual infrastructure management layer uh, with the goal of having multiple VNF for multiple vendors on the same platform, which is something we can deliver today. So the same applies to the cloud native part as well. Yes. 
That's crazy. So the, really, it sounds like, and and just just so because I want to like level set, you know, everybody, right? So you know, the technology already exists, right? It's something that we're already doing. It sounds like a lot more so in Europe than America, right? There's a lot more five G adoption, you know, and this is kind of like the, I guess, the easy way to help people understand better and maybe solve for some of the issues that were causing a little bit of the hesitation behind adopting 5g is that about right yeah i think that's about right i think there's a lot of uh, expectation in what 5g will be able to bring and we see a lot of movement uh in terms of uh, enterprise looking at 5g as the next generation connectivity that they want to use for their Mm. on-prem services and they have very, you know, multiple use cases looking at. I mean, uh, if I take an example of a company, there's a big airplane company, I won't name them here, but you, you guess who they are since they are based in Europe, who are looking at 5G technology for multiple use cases. It can range from, you know, AR, VR type of thing to enable, you know, remote experts. So having people online without carrying all the burden of the big documentation of things, uh, mm. Location, fine grain location for tooling, automated, you know, um, manufacturing sites where we have multiple machines interacting between each other, or even for downloading very large amount of data from planes to the docking uh, when they are arriving at the airports. So all this are really creating a, a range of enthusiasm around 5G. Now, to your first comment about whether Europe is more advanced than the U.S. on this, I don't believe so. I think you are in advance in the sense that we you're probably deploying in advance the 5G technology for the wider community. Now, mm-hmm. we have a lot of discussion with those enterprises to understand how 5G can be used and how beneficial in their context. That makes sense. I was just wondering, too, because I know we had spoken offline before about like slicing right and you'd even mention it again so like spectrum uh, allocations and things like that how different is that in europe than it is in america as far as like ease of getting around like fcc type regulations or, or is it the same it's fairly similar i have to say um i think it's uh depending on the country as well i mean europe is quite uh, interesting in that each country has their own regulations so we try yeah. to have a common European approach, but it's not available everywhere. <laughs> Maybe in the US, you've taken the uh, the stance to dedicate some spectrum called the CBRS. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. you may have heard about this, the citizen-based uh, radio service, which is a, a piece of the 3.5 gigahertz spectrum, which can be used for 4G service, basically. And it's open to anyone that wants to use it for their own, you know, their own case or their own environment. And this is quite advanced. I mean, in Europe, we have similar things but depending on country this can be 4g spectrum like we have in france there's a specific band in france dedicated for private usage or Hmm. 5g like they have in in germany in germany the regulator has decided that when they do the 5g auction they will isolate piece of the spectrum 100 megahertz in this 3.5 gigahertz band actually this you know contiguous to this cbrs band for 5g usage 5g private usage so this can allow those companies or those enterprise or public sector, whoever they are, to actually use the 4G and 5G for their own benefit and deploying their own network. Now, That's, that's crazy. So so just real quickly, I, I, sure. again, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, it's, because it's all new stuff fairly, right? I mean, this is kind of like the, 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 the new big thing is what I'll call it. Um, I'm sure you would too, right? But as somebody that doesn't do this all day, I would say this is like one of the coolest things. Um, 
do you, do you find that because your your ISPs you target ISPs and enterprises as well? Do you find the ISPs and the carriers uh, are more friendlier when you go to the different countries? Then, since it's not all governed by one big like European FCC, you know, do you target those in that case? Like, okay, France is really good about allocating space. Is that my first like? introduction so I, I go there first I, you know i don't go to you know another country that would be like a lot more stringent on it i guess i guess it varies from country to country obviously and also what the sps are looking to do with this i think in some country we'll see the enterprise having an ease of access to spectrum which makes them you know quite engaging in, in doing this private network deployments or experiments mm-hmm. i mean I think we can come back with a deployment operation because this is something which is pretty new to them and is new technology. So whether they are the best place to run this network or the SP for them, it's it's another question. But in those countries where the the spectrum is already accessible, yes, I mean, there's definitely a big push uh, for for those those, uh, those enterprises. I mean, it's the case in Germany. A lot of activities Mm. in Germany with car manufacturing and and others are, are, you know, manufacturing companies like this. If you go to to France, where it's a bit maybe a bit harder, then we see more a push from the service provider to understand what they should be doing to address those particular enterprise needs, maybe riding on their own network, which goes back to the slicing concept that I was mentioning. I mean, slicing mm-hmm. is important when you're actually sharing a network between multiple use cases or users. And in that case, if you're a service provider trying to offer such private or quote-unquote private networks, then having an end-to-end slicing capability is very important. And 5G is definitely one way to deliver this um, in scale, at scale, and at operation scale to, to, the, to the customers. As a new service provider or as an existing service provider, uh, does the new Ultra Packet Core uh, replace what they have today, or do they have to stand up something in parallel? How does the migration look uh, for operating the existing network or, or building a new 5G network? I see. Yeah, there's two options, basically, and then we see the two options being requested by the customer. The first one is to deploy the new 5G SA core alongside the existing one, so you're not disrupting the existing one, where you have also the non-standalone, right? I mean, today, if you look at a 5G services which are provided mostly in europe and i guess also somehow in the us they are leveraging the existing core basically to drive the to collect the 5g traffic and then connect the user to the applications and 5g sa is being looked at for new use cases so be it enterprise also one thing i didn't mention about the the 5g sa core is that uh, there's this new concept of service delivery framework whereby, you know, we're getting rid of the traditional protocols between the different elements, but adopting really an API-based communication scheme between the different network functions, which eventually would allow to connect not only network function from the SP, but also enterprise environment. So you could mm. think about the policy layer and the enterprise connect to this. Mm. So this, this, this core will be used, first off, for those new use cases, the new users, because also the users need to have compatible devices. I mean, it's going to be only available for those new phones which are supporting the 5G standalone. And eventually what we are seeing from, to, to answer your question from the service provider is that they want to eventually migrate all of the existing services and technology to this new core, which means that this new core will be enhanced with new functions. So the 5G functions 
by definition don't support necessarily the 3G and 2G, for instance. But what we will see that um, alongside those new core functions, there will be a development and release of the cloud native version of the 4G core or the 3G core, for instance. And then all these functions can be hosted on the same environment and you have, a, you know, then a single core supporting all this technology, all based on the cloud native um, framework or, or paradigm. Let's put it that way. Gotcha. So it'll support the existing 4G and then they, the service provider can just plan that migration path however they choose. Yes. So today, okay. if you look at the gateway path, so the, really the, the traffic termination point of the 5G core, or, which is the ultra cloud core from, from our side, we can support both 5G and 4G radio. So when you are a 5G standalone user, you can attach to this new core and you can roam onto 4G. What mm, is okay. not supported today because it's not defined in the standard is that you cannot go from 5G to 4G, then to 3G. You need to reestablish what we call a session because there's no seamless mobility between different access technologies. And, and, you know, things are being enhanced even in the standard to have a, a more, you know, aligned and, and, and single infrastructure that will be able to support eventually all this connectivity. Is there a lot of 3G that still exists? I mean, that may be a stupid question, but I just don't see it here. <sighs> That's a good question. In Europe, we still have a lot. I mean, I have really? to say, I, I do see my phone, so we were um, alluding to the fiber earlier on uh, at some point in our previous discussion. Uh, but 3G is still something I see on my phone screen quite regularly, even 2G and the edge. You know, remember the E wow, of the edge? Yeah. So we do have a lot of 2G still, and, and 2G is also being used a lot for IoT today. So a lot of devices are still using 2G technology because it's still providing quite a good coverage yeah. at a low cost as well. That's, so that... we do see requirement for these uh, that will still linger for at least 5 to 10 years, as we see in Europe. That's that's such like a good way to do. It's almost like accidentally not moving it off, right? Because we have all these like LoRaWAN and you know what I mean. We came up with like new yeah. standards and stuff because we're like, ah, oh, we're moving past that. And but you guys still had it out there, which is great because in like new stuff can access a legacy delivery method, and it's perfect for that. So is this like a? Uh, do you see this being like a geographical thing for the most part? So like what? Has there been trends, I guess, is the best way to put that, with, like, the adoption, too, where, you know, I mentioned countries earlier, but aside from, like, political boundaries, is it more of, like, a metropolitan thing, or is it, like, a, you know, do you find it more people are apt to need or want it in a more rural setting, or what does that look like? <laughs> so, 5G itself, um, where, where, where the, so the service providers, at least in Europe, where they will start deploying 5G for the consumer will be in cities. I think there will be places where they are strained in terms of capacity. And uh, mm. I'm not saying we are congested and network. Well, there are places where the network congested, but it's always good to apply new spectrum to the users for the services. And I think there's a, a motto somehow that uh, whatever you give to your consumer, they will consume it. And then this traffic will be used. And, and this is being used primarily in, in, the, um, in the cities. Now, the other places we will see 5G being deployed will be around where 5G is needed for those use cases I was trying to mention, maybe mm -hmm. in some manufacturing site, which are, may not necessarily be close to any city because they may mm. be remote and in places. Now, 5G to rural is something that is being considered because it's a good you know, way to provide the fixed wireless access. 
but yeah. it will have to be decided on a case-by-case -case basis. It is not the majority and the primary use case that we see being looked at from by SPs today in, in Europe, at least. Interesting. There's a, isn't there like, you just need the density for the technology to really work like it should. You need client density. Well, you need, you need people that would use the technology. Yes. I think it's, it's yeah. probably the, 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 the first thing. And, uh, and also to, to deploy, you know, those technology in rural environment is, is, is of a challenge, right? I mean, there's still places, if I, I'm talking for my own country in France, a lot of places in France where you don't have a 4G in, in the countryside. We don't and, feel uh, bad for you, by the way. No, I there, there's other cool stuff out there than 4G. So, so <laughs> in, the, some, in some place, we have better fiber than 4G coverage. Uh, that's, so. See, that's so crazy to us because, you know, we're kind of like almost in the opposite end of the spectrum there. No pun intended. Uh, we, and Josh in particular, is using it right now. I mean, he's using right. LTE as a primary and I would say that using LTE primary would be more common, although it's still somewhat uncommon, is more common than a residential or average consumer using a fiber connection. Okay. Yeah. So in France, definitely not the case. Uh, there are other countries in Europe, which I don't know as well, but Germany, they have some good LTE to the home services or in Poland. But in that case, they wing lower band spectrum, which allows them to have pretty good coverage uh, oh, with, further, yeah. with the minimal reasonable number of sites that they can that they have to deploy. I think that's the story. And so, in five G in Europe, we're looking primarily at the three point five gigahertz spectrum and the twenty six gigahertz range, which, from you know propagation perspective, if you want to cover a large area, requires a lot of towers. So a lot of we power. don't have density of towers yet. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that you're solving because Josh brought it up. Yep. Um, you know, it sounds like you're solving not like a density issue that exists currently, but it's almost like alleviating something that could potentially happen. Because you're already saying that like people aren't starved for bandwidth, like on their phones, or for instance, right? Or even if they were using like LTE in the, in the business, they aren't starved for it. But it could get to that point, and before it does, you're you have the if we build it they will come method like you said you know if there's bandwidth there people will use it so it's almost like uh future proofing yeah i think the 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 lessons from covid were quite enlightening in at least in europe i mean the 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 mobile data network have increased a bit they haven't really suffered from congestion now it's also because the the patterns of communication have changed dramatically between what they used to see before the covid and during the covid itself the, i mean lockdown uh, but it, the 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 network held, so the they're, they're pretty well operational all the way along. Yeah, that's good to know. I mean, including that you haven't deployed this everywhere either, right? Could this be hmm. a use case though? Like, if somebody okay, so COVID's a great example. Like, that's that's an emergency. So we always see that things happen. It's like you know, necessity is the mother of all invention. So has COVID sparked any conversations for you guys into like maybe pushing the timeline up on a deployment like this? So if I if I come back to the five G and the five G ultra cloud core, not necessarily no. Uh, okay. I have to say I think the the, the COVID has uh, has brought to forward some 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 questions challenges of well, you know consumption of the fixed network. So definitely mm -hmm. the, um, the the fixed network consumption has increased. Also more adoption of voice traffic interestingly and voice mm. on the networks, but also on Wi Fi voice over Wi Fi from the home. Uh, but I don't think it's been a trigger to 
bring forward deployment or accelerate deployment of 5G per se, especially on the 5G SA core, which is more about new use cases than, than as I said, providing more bandwidth. Yeah, that actually makes sense though too, because you did mention like it is kind of, and I, I was talking about it. <laughs> uh, it does just kind of alleviate a problem that could potentially happen. But to your point, you know, COVID really didn't smack the network around like maybe some people thought it would have because, you know, everybody's at home and, you know, TikToking or whatever it is people do, um, using up all the bandwidth, but that doesn't seem like it was an issue. But, but at home, I mean, the, the, the point is at home you've been using, and this is back to, to Josh, if you're an LTE, that's quite specific. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the people at home are, are on some fixed line. DSL cable or fiber and that's increasing the Wi-Fi and this traffic and we've seen this but not necessarily the mobile data traffic Hmm. that's a good point too yeah in this particular area um, to what Aaron was asking the the large telcos did have to come in due to COVID and rush some tower upgrades uh, because in in this particular part of the country it was the the backhauls were getting uh, saturated and congested so it, it was an impact here, and it was definitely noticeable uh, when that was done, uh, wh- whatever they did. I don't know what they did, but it was definitely an upgrade. Yeah, the, the, that's interesting. The, the backhaul, right? So, Eric, when we talk about the ultra core, what it sounds like, too, is that like, the core is being pushed like, to the edge, right? Yes. Yeah, so in Josh's scenario <clears throat> that he just named off, how would have moving to like the the ultra 5g core how would that have affected his problem or could it fix it not well depends on the overall strategy and and what services i guess josh is consuming uh, mm-hmm. i think the, the the distribution of the of the core is interesting for low latency and maybe allowing to collocate the ip termination point with some other applications like content like mm. caching Sure. And maybe there's a way to basically offload part of this traffic going very centralized, and then you can offload the overall backhaul there. So depending on what Josh is actually using, that yeah. could be a bit beneficial. But what we definitely see for, for enterprise when I talk about low latency and also some security and integrity of data, uh, we see the model where at the very least, the enterprise would like to have the IP termination point on their premise. Right, and which means that the traffic is ro- lo- locally rooted. At least the data or sensitive traffic is locally rooted, and it can have some level of, of reliability. Now we also see quite being demanded by those enterprises to have the complete core on the premise. So mm. in case the backhaul is failing and something mm. happens, they still have some continuity of service. This is very important for what we call the the critical infrastructure operator. We have in so in France, there's a, a range about probably a few hundreds of, of companies being called about critical infrastructure. So they're vital for the, comp- for the, for the country. And those are the ones that may require this all core to be on-prem. And we can push this core uh, at the very edge of the network, including on-prem on the enterprise environment. How does one get in the, the shortlist for critical uh, critical? Well, it depends on the activities. So I, I don't have exactly the, the criteria of how they're being <laughs> chosen, but... You can imagine there are some defense, utility company, yeah. uh, big enterprise. I mean, all these are being part of this um, this critical uh, list of, of companies. I feel, like, I feel like here it'd probably be uh, Costco, Walmart, and Amazon. They'd be, <laughs> no. they'd, they'd be on the short list. 
I'm pretty sure you have like uh, I don't know PG&E and those guys, right? Because that would be obviously important. And uh, actually, this whole private, you know, network, at least where where I got involved into, was with some utility company in France to cover some critical, you know, production producing plant of electricity. And was it farther out? Like it was like a more rural thing. Yes, typically. I mean, if you look at these, there may be, um, there, there may be how do you say it? dams. I mean. You know, holding the water. Oh, uh, damn! Yeah, yeah. Dam, dam, or nuclear plants, and these are not close to the uh, to the cities typically. Right. So that's weird because, well, not weird, but it actually piggybacks off of what you said, which is the the core being kind of pushed to the edge. So this gives these far-reached areas almost like a small metropolitan feel. Right, because yeah. you're just like bringing out this little node, it's, and they're it's able like to a, a small it. replication of network. So you have multiple sites, and those multiple sites may be connecting to a local core, and this mm. local core is serving those users. But yeah. uh, interestingly, I mean, those local core and local networks may host users who are, have also services which are provided very centrally. Like voice traffic may have to be carried very centrally because your voice is going to your you know, mother company who is not local and you may mm. want to connect this core to the to the to the central one, which leads to a, a model whereby the service provider have an interesting thing to play because they can both potentially provide this local core entity with the management layer and the reliability that it brings, but mm. also the centralized services. And you can imagine that my data traffic is locally rooted, but my voice traffic still keeps running on my you know, service provider infrastructure because I want to benefit from the numbering schemes, from everything I'm, I'm used to from the voice perspective. So we see a, a, a decoupled model on what could be done on-prem and what can be done still centrally. Yeah, this is, this is good stuff, dude. And I'm gonna use the word rad because I'm from California. This is rad. Okay. Uh, I'm learning a new new word. That's good for me. (laughs) You're welcome. That's an old new word. (laughs) Yeah, it's recycled. (laughs) From like the 80s. But no, this is good stuff, Eric. All right. Well, this has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank all of you for listening in today. And a special thank you to my core group, Eric, Aaron, and Josh, for sharing your wonderful insights and hosting today's session. Click on the link provided in the podcast description to access more information on today's topic. And just a reminder, be sure to look for this episode and other episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts, including SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TalkShoe, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. This is Amy Lee San Juan. Until next Monday, my friends.